Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Thank you once again tonight for your great generosity. What a blessing it is, amen, to serve God alongside faithful people. Years, years, and years of faithfulness in this place. Uh, you cannot underestimate how wonderful that is uh, as a pastor to have people that I can count on, uh, people that I can rely on, and uh, what a blessing it is uh, this evening. Let's open up our Bibles tonight. Uh, we're going to look together in the book of James, uh, James chapter 5. Uh, I always enjoy reading from the book of James. His words are particularly poignant, and uh, I believe there's a reason for that. Uh, James is the brother, the younger brother of Jesus Christ, grew up in the same household and observed the life of his brother uh, growing up. Would have been a lot of pressure to be the younger brother of Jesus, right? Why can't you be like your older brother? Uh, and, um, but what that has resulted in, this epistle of James, there is a lot of incredible wisdom that is written into this book. Amen. Praise the Lord. Patrick's here. I thought you were skip, skipping out on us tonight. First time I saw you in the service so far. But I'm glad you're here. Praise the Lord. I was getting ready to send you a text message. No. <laughs> but I don't have to do that. Praise God. So James chapter 5. And uh, the scripture we're going to read tonight is a very practical scripture that has implications for our everyday lives as believers. And by way of introduction, I want to uh, share a story with you that I found that comes out of the Canadian Coast Guard. They uh, had some strong words of advice after they discovered that a diver had drifted nearly seven miles with the tide as dozens of people were desperately searching for him. The Marine controller, his name Mark Poole, his, his words of advice to people who may be caught in the tide, he said this, call us quickly. The quicker it is, the better. Uh, the man who was uh, uh, caught in the tide was 64 years old, and he had partners in a dive boat nearby, but the problem was that the partners in the boat waited for one hour and 45 minutes before they thought to call the Coast Guard for help. And so because of their delay in calling for help, this diver was swept away in a strong ebb tide. So uh, this commander, Mark Pruhl, he said, they were searching for him themselves. Maybe it was because they were embarrassed but I can tell that they are not his best buddies because 
if they were his best buddies, they would have called for help sooner rather than later. Can I tell you tonight, it is wise to know when to call for help. It is a wise thing for you and I to be able to recognize when we are in the ebb tide of life and we are being swept away. How many of you have ever felt like you were in that place of your life when you were being swept away, maybe by your circumstance, maybe swept away by a family problem, swept away by a financial difficulty, swept away by emotional or mental trauma. Some of these things, life can cause a riptide to grab hold of us and begin pulling us out to see. How many can testify that? Sometimes life will deal a blow. But don't make the mistake that these divers did by delaying your call for help. How many know we have a helper? We have a helper far greater than the Canadian Coast Guard. We have a helper who is present in our time of need. I want to preach a message about prayer tonight, a message to encourage God's people to call out for help in times of need. What would our church look like if we would have a people who begin to call out for help on behalf of others? And that's what this scripture is about in James chapter 5. It's a specific kind of prayer. It is an intercessory prayer. What does that mean? It means standing in before the Lord on behalf of somebody else. Intercessory prayer is a mark of someone who is spiritually minded. And I want to preach about this uh, tonight. And uh, uh, let's read together from James chapter 5 beginning with verse 13. It's a message I've titled, Please Pray For Me. And it says these words, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. It's a good thing nobody here is suffering tonight. Maybe that's why we didn't have so many people in the prayer room. (laughs) Is anyone cheerful? Then let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Then James goes on to use an illustration of a historical Bible figure named Elijah, someone that we've preached a lot of sermons about in this church. And this example of Elijah in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What does that mean? It means he was a normal everyday guy just like you and me. And yet when he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land, for three years and six months. Then, verse 18, he prayed again, the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. What is the point of using this illustration? He said, if Elijah could do it, 
Why not you? If Elijah could pray and cause the heavens and earth to open and shut, then why do we think we can't do that? Brethren, verse 19, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. We have a powerful, powerful weapon in prayer tonight that I believe is being underused and underutilized. Let's go before the Lord as we pray for this service right now. Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity to gather together in your house. I'm praying that your people would once again appreciate and utilize the power of prayer that you have given to us. I'm praying inspire us once again, uh, especially to intercede on behalf of others. As we heard this morning about reaching out to the lost and seeking and saving those who are lost, God, help us to realize that, 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 that one of the most effective ways to do that is through the intercessory prayer. I'm praying tonight, God, that you would renew our hope as we turn to you in the secret place. And we give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. This is a message again titled, Please Pray for Me. And I want to begin by just reminding you of the power of prayer. How many understand that prayer is powerful? We say that a lot. It's it's repeated many times and often from the pulpit. And we hear that a lot, that prayer is powerful. But so many times I think that we are we are not experiencing what we understand is true. What do I mean by that? It is possible mentally to acknowledge, yes, pastor, I believe that prayer is powerful. If I was to pass out a survey and said, yes or no, do you believe that prayer is powerful? I have every confidence everyone would hear. Everyone here would say, yes, I believe with all my heart that prayer is powerful. But the problem is we know that mentally, we acknowledge that in our minds and in our theology, but how many of us are truly experiencing powerful prayer in our lives? How many of us are experiencing the powerful outcomes of the prayers that we have been praying? I think so often one of the reasons why God's people struggle in prayer is because they don't see the answers to what they're praying for, right? And we pray and, uh, well, pastor, I said a prayer and I I didn't see anything happen, so I stopped praying. And uh, and because we fall short and, uh, and, and we don't see the power that is possible in prayer, and therefore we give up on it before our prayers are answered. I believe tonight that prayer is your most powerful weapon, and it is also the one that we use the least. If you had a choice between a slingshot and a bazooka, and the enemy was coming against you, which one would you rather use? And when the enemy comes in like a flood, so many of God's people pick up the slingshot and leave the bazooka. And we get on our little tricycle while the tank is sitting right here. 
And we think that in our own strength and in our own wisdom and in our own experience that I know what's best. And we, we go out to the battlefield riding our little tricycle with our little uh, slingshot packed in the back pocket and we, I'm going to win this victory. And we leave the tank and the bazooka sitting on the sidelines. That's what prayer is, beloved. When we jump into the battle without praying, without calling upon God, without truly laying hold of the Lord, we leave our most powerful weapon laying idle, unused. Verse 17 reminds us of this power, as I mentioned, as the, as, uh, the brother of Jesus reminds us of the prophet Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. It's really incredible to me. If you do a study of the Bible, what does, what does the Bible say about the power of prayer? You will be astounded. Prayer is far more powerful than we uh, many times understand. See, it's when ordinary people, this example of Elijah is meant to remind us that he is an ordinary man. He is not superhuman. He's, he's not uh, uh, jacked up on, on, uh, on uh, you know, uh, creatine and protein, and he's not, you know, he's not some super, uh, superman, batman, uh, he, hero, comic book hero. Elijah's just a regular guy. And yet Elijah, strapped up with the power of prayer, was able to do what ordinary people can't do. Ordinary people when they pray to an extraordinary God, we'll see extraordinary results. Matthew 21, verse 22. This is the words of Jesus now. Red letters, right? Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. I think if you actually believed what Jesus said right there, you would all want to run away from my sermon right now and go into the prayer room. Pastor, stop preaching. We need to pray more. And I would say yes and amen to that. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. That's incredible. That's amazing. That's powerful. And yet we read through the, that scripture, and we say, ha, ah, whatever. Right? We minimize. We justify. We say, oh, it can't possibly be true. The context of this scripture in the book of James is that James is exhorting us and encouraging us to a specific kind of prayer that I mentioned, and it is the intercessory prayer. Can you say that word, intercessory? Intercessory literally means standing in the gap on behalf of someone else. It means praying for somebody else. Now, I love the truth of intercessory prayer. Now, I understand that, you know, when it comes to praying for you, 
you are the expert on you, right? Uh, many times, uh, there is nobody better to pray for you than you. <laughs> and so it is important for God's people to pray for themselves. I pray for myself. I pray for my family. I pray for my children, for my wife. I pray for the needs of my life. But if that's all that we've done, then we have missed out on the bazooka of God's power when it comes to seeing change in the lives of other people. There is a powerful truth here. See, and, and, and th this is the thing, is that it, it's easier, I believe, it's easier to pray for my needs than it is to pray for your needs. Because we naturally understand our weaknesses and we say, please, God, I need your help. And, and, and if we are people of faith, I, I think for me anyway, and maybe your experience is different, but for me, it's a whole lot easier for me to realize how desperately I need God because I know who I am. So it's easy for me to pray for myself. I wouldn't say it's easy. It's easier than intercessory prayer. And here's why. Intercessory prayer, when you take on the task of praying for other people, the problem is you don't know other people the same way that you know yourself. And so we find ourselves struggling and grasping for straws. We, we might know a few things here or there. We, we've seen what we can see. And, 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 but the problem is because we don't have godly knowledge, we don't have perfect knowledge like he does, all we can do is observe from the outside and say, God, you've got to move on their behalf, right? And so it becomes more difficult for us to stand in the gap for other people. You know the other problem is praying for other people? Sometimes we don't like other people. I'd rather not pray for God. I'd rather you just judge them and then they die in their sin like Jonah, right? Jonah said, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Lord, those are wicked people. Why don't you just let them burn in hell? I don't want to pray for them. I don't want to preach to them. Just let them get what's coming to them, Lord. Karma will come back around. And yet, the Scripture calls us to be interceders. Interceders. And so from this Scripture tonight, I want to give you four different times to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ. There are four specific times that this Scripture gives us that we need to be praying for others. And I believe if every one of us would catch this tonight and begin praying on behalf of other people in the house of God and others that you know, if we would lift up others around us and intercede on their behalf in these four arenas, that this could change everything. This could change your family. This could change our church. This could change new believers. This could change a congregation. So the first time that we ought to pray for others is verse 13 is in suffering suffering. Verse 13, again, it said, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. We ought to pray for one another through suffering. And that is, uh, it comes with the territory of living life that suffering does happen, right? Uh, we understand that. I preach a lot about that, that suffering happens a lot. We do suffer in this lifetime. 
And so if we understand that believers go through suffering, then that ought to inspire us to pray for sufferers. See, I think about new converts many times. I think about people who are new in the faith. And uh, and new converts, man, they go through a lot. How many can remember as a new convert, there, there there is this superb blessing of being close to God as a new convert. There is that uh, honeymoon period that we have, maybe six months, maybe a, a year of living for God, and it's just every church service is exciting. But at the same time, new believers go through a, a suffering that, that many of us don't remember or don't acknowledge. What kind of suffering? Well, there's demonic attacks, aren't there? The, the devil immediately, as someone gets saved, understands that that person is now a prime target. And so the enemy will come against new converts because he wants to win them back. Many times new converts are having to live through consequences of past sins. They are reaping the fruit of bad decisions before they got saved, right? And so that can be very, very difficult. That causes suffering. There are temptations, there are, and this is not only new converts, this applies to us all, that we are going through times that we could use some support. You and I, we have a responsibility to pray for new believers, but not just new believers, for all believers in the time of difficulty. What is painful for me to think about is how many new believers have come into our congregation, have gotten saved and truly converted in an altar, and yet we have not prayed them through the initial sufferings of their salvation. And as a result, many of them have wandered into the sea, been pulled by the riptide out to sea by the enemy, by the circumstances of life, by uh, consequences of their past life, and we didn't make the phone call. Please, God, go and help them in their time of need. Ephesians 6, verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. All the saints. That's why I titled this message, Pray for Me, because I'm one of the saints too. Just because I stand behind the pulpit doesn't mean I have it all together either. Doesn't mean that I go through, I don't go through problems. Doesn't mean I don't go through suffering. And so just as much as the, the newest of the new convert, even so every old saint and even the pastor, even those in a public ministry, we need prayers because we all experience suffering. One other note quickly here, verse 13, this This particular verse is directed at the sufferer, not just those who are praying for them. It said, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So the reason I mention that is because one of the problems I've run into is that that uh, it can be difficult for people to admit that they need support. 
it can be difficult. So, and so, sometimes, you know, there will be a span of time that goes by. And maybe we don't see them in the church. Or maybe, uh, maybe people, maybe one of you, will come into the church late and then leave early without talking to anybody. And, and it was like, man, I didn't get a chance to talk to that. What's going on? I don't know. Maybe it could it be that there's suffering happening in their lives. And I understand, yes, we, we need to carry our own burden. We need to go to the Lord on our own behalf, but I wonder if those who would suffering would make their suffering known if it would ease your burden. Man, it got quiet all of a sudden. What happened here? You know, we are the body of Christ, aren't we? We are the body of Christ, and if part of my body is in pain, the rest of my body has to adjust in order to take care of that part. And if I've smashed my toe or twisted my ankle, then the rest of my, I'm going to hobble a little bit. I'm going to favor that, that ankle because that's going to help it heal. I'm going to put more pressure on this other leg so that this leg can feel a little bit better. See, the body of Christ needs to understand that when someone is in trouble, when someone is suffering, that's not a reason to be ashamed. That's a reason for the rest of the body to come around and say, can we help you? Can we support you in your time of need? But we can't do that if you keep it to yourself. We can't do that if you isolate and you uh, push others away. Say, how you doing, brother? Fine. (laughs) Okay. All right. I'll pray for you. If we would be open to allowing others to pray for us, I believe that we could all thrive together. So in suffering. Secondly, we can pray for one another in sickness. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And then we get this line, this sentence that reveals to us that sickness has more to do, uh, is not only about physical health. Look at this last sentence, verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So what does that tell us this evening? It tells us that, yes, we we ought to be praying for one another in physical illness. There are people who are not able to attend services. That's why we have a prayer list, and we have a section on here for healing. And in fact, on the top, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but this very scripture is written on the top of our prayer list. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray. And so that's why we have this section for healing, because we believe that Scripture is true, that God can heal the sick. And if you've served God for any amount of time, you have seen people get healed. You've experienced it. You've been in services where we prayed for people, and they recovered. And what a blessing that is. I've been surprised sometimes. I've had conversations with people. And, uh, and come to find out, oh, yeah, Pastor, I've been suffering with this illness for the last three years. Three years you've had an illness and nobody knew about it? 
wouldn't you allow us to pray for you? Oh, I'm embarrassed and things, and I don't want to be a burden. And, and these are the things people tell themselves. And many times, if we would just open ourselves up, perhaps God could heal you. But what we realize about this scripture here is that James is speaking about more than just physical illness. And we know that because of that last sentence where he said, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And what we're talking about there is spiritual sickness. Spiritual sickness. And in many ways, it's far more deadly than physical illness. I always love to pray for the sick, but before I do, I always ask people, are you right with God? Because it would be criminal for me to pray for you to get healed and say, uh, uh, be warm and fed and enjoy your healing and never dealt with you about sins. What a crime it would be for your body to be healed, but your spirit to still be broken and on the way to hell. The reason that we have healing for the sick is to lead people to Christ. It is a sign and a wonder intended to bring people to saving knowledge. This is every time you see it, especially in the book of Acts, that when God heals people, it leads to incredible revival. It leads to a renewal of the church. It leads to increasing faith. And so we, we thank God for physical healing, but that's not everything. What we're really aiming for is the forgiving of sins. Anointing with oil, it said. It said, uh, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And I, uh, I have from time to time practiced uh, uh, carrying a, a little uh, bottle of oil and keeping it here in the pulpit in the case, uh, you know, we, we do take that uh, literally, anointing people with oil as they did in the Old Testament. But we know that oil is, is more than just something we rub into people's skin. It is a, it, there's symbolic truth to the oil. That the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. There is this image in the Old Testament of pouring out the oil of anointing on, uh, on Aaron the priest. And the Bible gave instructions to Moses as a sign that when you, uh, when you bring Aaron into the priesthood and all of his Levite sons, that you're going to pour the oil on them until it flows down their head and through their beards, and it will be an anointing that God would give them power and authority. So oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And when we are praying for people, when you begin to pray for others, this is what you need to pray for. God, let your Holy Spirit guide, direct, and anoint them. The Holy Spirit. And look at the promise that the Scripture gives us. Remember, we're talking about the power of intercessory prayer. Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Did you hear that tonight? The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. 
That in the face of every bad doctor's report. Some of you know what it's like to go to the, to the doctor and get a bad report. And the doctor says, you'll always have a struggle with this for the rest of your life. That's a bad report from the doctor. You don't always have to take it. Because the prayer of faith will save the sick. Now, we understand tonight that not everybody receives a healing. But that does not change the fact that we should still be interceding on behalf of others. Just because God doesn't heal everyone, just because God left the Apostle Paul with a thorn in his flesh, doesn't mean we should stop praying for the thorn in the Apostle's flesh. We can still pray. We can still believe God. We can still uh, have faith together that the Lord will raise him up. What is the key here? The prayer of, what was it? Faith. Does that mean that it's possible to pray without faith? (laughs) Yeah, visit the prayer room. You'll see it many times. The prayer without faith. The prayer that is just rattling words that come out of your mouth and fall out of your lips and hit the floor, wiggle around for a while, and then die. It is possible, like Jesus said, for men to pray just so that other men can hear that prayer. And Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because their prayers were intended only to be heard by other men. And he said, you have your reward. You wanted recognition by men, you got it. But God doesn't hear that prayer. That's not a prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will save the sick. Here's the problem. When many people pray, they don't believe what they're praying. got real quiet again faith is a key ingredient to our prayers and i want to exhort you the prayer of faith will save the sick and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven there is a physical part of that there is also a spiritual healing available thirdly There is a third place that we can begin to pray for others. It's very important tonight. And that is in sin. In sins. Listen to what the Scripture said again, James uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is where I think in many churches and in many modern Christian circles that we are failing one another. Because we are so isolated from one another, somehow this has gotten worse in the last 15 to 20 20 years, in my opinion. It's gotten worse because there was a time, even in my life, that I can remember that, that at least, you know, we, it was normal for you to know the names of your neighbors on your street. You know what I'm saying? And it was, it was a, a normal thing for people to stop by and knock on the door and say hello. And that has radically changed. And I'm not sure if it's the internet. It probably has something to do with it. 
uh, that we have social media now, and so we think that we've got 500 friends on Facebook, and, and so I don't need any other friends in my neighborhood. Uh, but for some reason, this little scripture has become a great challenge in the church of Jesus Christ. Confess your trespasses to one another. Just be honest for a second. When's the last time you actually did that? When's the last time that you confessed, that you, you screwed it up, you made a mistake, you sinned, you fell into temptation? See, that is something that is not happening in the church in many places. Does it mean that we've stopped sinning? I wish that was true, but I don't think it is. It said, not just confess your trespasses to the pastor. You know, that's helpful. I want to be able to minister to you. I want to have an open door. Uh, uh, it, it, you know, if you're struggling in sin, please give me a phone call. Uh, catch me before or after a service. I want to pray for you. But listen, this is not just talking about spiritual leadership here, is it? This is speaking about brothers and sisters in the church. Confess your trespasses to one another. And why, why do you think that this is not happening? We're embarrassed. We don't want to be a burden. We're ashamed. We're discouraged. We think that we'll be judged. See, when a brother or a sister in the body of Christ is in sin, this causes a, a, a very horrible effect. It causes isolation and shame and doubts. It opens an opportunity, a foothold for the enemy to take hold. Let me ask you, if you were experiencing those things, isolation, shame, discouragement, doubts, if you were experiencing those things, wouldn't you want someone to pray for you? Wouldn't you want the support and help of other people? Listen to the promise that is given for those who would be brave enough to confess trespasses to one another. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That, that is speaking about effectiveness. Can you guys say the word effective? My prayer is that each and every one of you would have an effective prayer life. I'm not just hoping that more people show up to our prayer meeting and rattle off meaningless words to the wall. <laughs> what I'm praying for is that God's people would catch a vision for effective intercessory prayers. In other words, that when you say a prayer on behalf of one of your brothers, your sisters, in the body of Christ, that God hears that prayer and that something powerful happens as a result. How can we have effective prayers? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. A righteous man. A righteous person, not just man, but women too. See, righteousness has powerful effectiveness with God. 
the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. And see, we think that in our minds, if we're struggling in sin, and I need to confess this to somebody, and we think to ourselves, oh, I could never confess it to that person because they're so righteous. Wrong. That righteous person is the first person you should be running to. Not because you're going to be embarrassed, but because the effective, fervent prayer of that righteous person has great power with God. Fervency. Fervency means passion, intensity, zealous, zeal, and sincerity, and dedicated, wholeheartedness. This is, this is like Daniel. There's a, a record in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, where he prays. He is praying for a certain outcome. And can you, can you imagine this? He is praying 21 days for the same thing and doesn't see a result. Have you ever been there? <laughs> what if Daniel had quit on day 20? Well, the Bible says that on the 21st day that an angel shows up. And he tells Daniel that from the very first day that you started praying, three weeks ago, Daniel, I had the answer to your prayer, and I was going to deliver it to you on day one, but I was withheld because of a spiritual, supernatural battle that was happening in the heavenly places. And it's a good thing, Daniel, that you stayed fervent in your prayer, that you stayed consistent in your prayer, because here I am and I have overcome the enemy, and now here's the answer to your prayer. Listen to what he said, Daniel 10, verse 12. Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Jesus taught us about consistent prayer, didn't he? True faith is persistency. True faith is ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking, right? The, when Jesus said, ask and it will be answered, knock and the door will be opened, right? The, that scripture and the, 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 the tense of the verb in the original language is not just ask one time and then walk away if you don't get your answer. It is the idea of ask and keep on asking. Did you ever have somebody show up at your door and they knock? And then they knocked again? And you didn't want to answer the door, and they kept knocking? I had a salesman at my door the other day, knocking. My dog was barking up a storm. I was trying to get her into the garage. But guess what? He kept knocking. And every time the knock, she would go crazy. I said, just go away, dude. But that's what faith is. Faith is knock and keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. The prayer of the righteous man, the fervent, zealous, passionate prayer for on behalf of other people has great effectiveness with God. Finally, there's one last situation that James tells us that we ought to be praying for others. We've looked at suffering, sickness, and sin, and there's one other that is very, very important, and that is in backsliding, 
verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, wanders from the truth, this perhaps could be the most difficult one to pray for other people who wander from the truth. Because this requires from us a true heart of redemption, doesn't it? You know, oftentimes when people backslide, when people leave the faith and they turn from what we know is right, it feels like betrayal, because it is betrayal. It's a betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, but it's a betrayal. Many times people backslide, they make decisions that take them back to the old sins, and many times they end up becoming worse than they were at the beginning. This is the warning of Scripture, isn't it? And when people return to their sins, that they are worse off than, they, than when they started because of what Jesus said, that when the demon finds a house swept and empty, he brings with him seven more demons to fill that house. It's the danger of backsliding. There's no such thing as a successful backslider. The enemy will tell you, oh yeah, it's great out there. You remember your life of sin, how much fun you had? You know the problem is that when you become a believer, you are ruined forever to the joys of sin and flesh. It is not the same. And so when people backslide, now it becomes the burden of the church to pray for people who have betrayed us. It's Jesus having to pray for Judas. It's the same Jesus having to pray for Peter who had denied him three times, just as Jesus predicted. And now Jesus comes to him on the sea, they're eating breakfast, and now it's Jesus' job. You know, I'm really glad that the way that Jesus treated Peter in that scenario, you know, because if it was me, I would have slapped Peter around a little bit. I told you, you idiot. I told you to be careful because the, the, the rooster was going to crow and you're going to deny me three, but you didn't listen, did you? You idiot, right? That's what I would have done. But Jesus, he prays for the man. He restores him. He treats him with kindness and, and, uh, and loving kindness. Great Bible word. James, the brother of Jesus, understands this, and he understands that in the church there will be people who backslide. And when that happens, beloved, we've got to maintain a heart for God for them. That's hard to do. Because sometimes in backsliding, people take, people take a chunk of flesh, don't they? People take a piece of our hearts with them people who we have served God alongside with, people that we've outreached with, people that we have believed God with, had prayer meetings with, and all of a sudden, those same people are now uh, uh, stabbing us in the back with the very words they speak and the posts they put on Facebook and the words they say about our leadership and, uh, and demeaning you know, what we do as a fellowship. And many times that's so hard to deal with can cause churches to split. But in backsliding, it's most important to pray, to pray for them, not to become embittered, not to become angry, 
but to pray. See, sometimes this happens even on a smaller scale, even within our own families. When a husband or a wife turns from the faith or a child decides they don't want to serve God and want to run after the flesh, that can be heartbreaking. But that is not the time for bitterness. That is time to inherit the heart of compassion that James speaks about here. He said, if anyone among you, anyone, by the way, let me just mention here quickly as we close, every person here, do not think yourself far away from backsliding. You say, oh, pastor, I could never, I would never, there's no way in a thousand years, and, and just like Peter said, oh, no, Lord, I'll follow you to the death, Lord Jesus. Oh, no, never, I would never even think, dream in a million years that I could ever wander and deny you like, and hours later, Hours. I say that tonight because we ought to approach our, our salvation with a sense of humility. I am one or two decisions away from backsliding. And so are you. That's why this scripture is so important. The reality that backsliding is a possibility that, 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 that good, godly people can turn from salvation and turn away from the grace that they've been shown, it requires the church to have a heart of redemption if we're ever going to see people restored. There is hope for the backsliding. There is hope. There is hope. And many of you can testify times in your life you were making terrible decisions and experiencing the bad consequences of backsliding. And aren't you glad that when you came to your senses like the prodigal son, aren't you glad that there were some people waiting back at the father's house, waiting for you with arms open wide? Because I want to tell you something, the devil talks to the backslider. Oh, yes, he does. The devil says all kinds of things to the backslider. Maybe uh, you're watching on a live stream right now, or maybe you're watching this down the road, maybe months or weeks from now, and you're, you, you are in this place right now. I want to tell you something. Uh, by the Holy Spirit, I believe tonight God would speak to a backslider and tell them, the lies of the enemy should not be believed. He will say to the backslider, there's no hope for you. He will say, you've gone too far. Those people in the church, they don't want you back. The devil will, will begin to lie to the backslider and, and tell them that all hope is lost, all ye who enter. The devil will begin to remind you of all of the vows that you've broken and the promises at the altar that you have forsaken. But I want to tell you, we as a church... We must have the heart to pray, even for those who have forsaken the way of God. Aren't you glad that Luke 15, that same chapter we looked at this morning, there's the story of the prodigal son. You want to know the story of what a backslider looks like? That's it. Uh, here's a, a guy who was in the father's house. He was in the place of blessing, Right? And he made a decision that aborted his future and took him off a tangent. 
he slid back into his flesh, into the world, riotous living, the Bible says, and finds himself eating with the pigs, eating in the slop, in the filth. For a Jewish boy, bad scene, right? And right there, as he's sitting in the filth, he has a come-to-Jesus moment. And he says to himself, what am I doing here? If I just go home, maybe my father would have me back. I think tonight, I think about certain people that I'm thinking specifically of one person that I know who used to be in my teen ministry back in the Chandler Church. And from his postings on social media and the way that he's living his life, he is a backslider. He grew up in the church. I know this guy. I know him well. I was good friends with him for many years. Still am. But he is far from God right now. So it's easy for me to see the posts that he is putting on Facebook and say, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't deserve redemption. Who deserves redemption? It's easy for me to say, oh, man, this guy, he's too far gone based on the things that he says and and does. But you know what? God convicted me that I need to pray for this guy. Instead of criticizing and trying to frantically, uh, you know, come back to him with with every little, you know, uh, rebutting his, his, his Facebook post, maybe my energy would be better spent interceding on his behalf. Let me, let me take that to the Lord, and God, let me, let, me, let me bring this man to your attention once again. Because how many understand, God is, more, is way better at changing people than I am. He's way better at convincing people in the pit of their sin that, that they can come to the end of themselves and make the choice to come back to God. What I'm saying tonight is that we must be that father who is still in the house that when he looked up and saw from afar his son coming back to the house, that he could not wait. He got up off of his chair, busted down the door, and ran out to meet his son in the field, right? That's got to be us. That's got to be you and me, that when somebody comes back to the church, we're not looking over our shoulder at them like, huh, good to see you back, yeah. Let's see how long this lasts. We look at people with a jaundiced eye. We, we look at them like, uh, you know, with, with judgmental hearts. Instead of being the, that father who, he didn't care where the son had been. All he cared about is that he's back now. You're back. My son who once was dead and now is alive again. My job as a body of Christ is not to interrogate where were you on the night six months ago when I called you and you were supposed to be in church and you didn't? Uh, come on, man. Let's have a heart for redemption. Aren't you glad that when you made the choice to come back to church that there was somebody there to greet you and smile at you and say, I'm glad you're here? Well, yes, we bring all of our funky attitudes with us. Can we still pray for the backslider? I love about this scripture, as I'm closing, that all of these times that James 
asked us to pray for others. All of this is happening in the context of a local body of believers. This is the strength of the church, isn't it? This is why we have a church. This is why we still believe in having corporate gathering places. Not just so we can get in a room and sit together. Look, if, if all church was about was me preaching and you listening, we could do that on live stream every time. But there is something special about what we are doing tonight. It is the, the ability to interact. See, God wants us to be healed. He wants our sins to be forgiven. He wants backsliders to be restored. But all of that happens in the context of relationships within the church. You see this. My beloved, the call to prayer tonight is a call to intercede, to break out of just your, your prayers for yourself and people that you love around you. You've got to break through and begin to pray for brothers and sisters, for new believers. And you know, the effect of that is not just to see miracles in the lives of others, but you will see the effect on your own life. The truth is, when you see an, a, a miracle in the life of someone else, just like I was preaching this morning, when you see someone else restored, when you see someone else's sins forgiven, when you see, when you become an instrument in God's hand, ministering in the life of others, guess what it does for you? Strengthens your faith too. So I exhort you, I encourage you tonight to be the hands and the feet of Jesus and pray intercede on behalf of others. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes. Pray for me. And not just me. But pray for those who are sick, those in sin, those in suffering, and those in backslidings. There is hope. Tonight, the hope is not just found in in a religious meeting or a religious message, the hope of the gospel is that God can still do miracles. God can still do incredible things. God can still change lives. And if you're here tonight, you are in sin. You're, you, you are experiencing uh, bad consequences of your decisions. That's what a sin is. It's a bad decision to turn away from God and to trust your flesh instead. It is what it says in Proverbs. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to destruction. Those sins, those decisions we make to stray away from the Father's house and to go into our own riotous living, those things have deadly consequences. But I'm here to share with you the hope of the gospel tonight. That if you will repent, if you will turn from your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver you, you can be saved. I'm not talking just about joining our church. I'm not talking about becoming religious and adding a few good habits to your life. I'm talking about a revolution of your, of your heart. The change. Old things becoming new. 
It says that those who are in Christ are a new creation. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. Like a butterfly from a caterpillar. It's a whole new life. A life that is centered on doing the will of God and experiencing His forgiveness, His mercy. If you need that tonight, I want to pray for you. Someone's here, maybe you need what I'm talking about, forgiveness and grace and mercy. I want to intercede with you tonight. I want to pray for you. I want to believe God with you, that you can be transformed in a moment of time. But I need you to respond. I need you to recognize your need before a holy God. And the way that you do that tonight is simply with an uplifted hand. You hear this evening, you need Jesus to heal you of all your sins and your backsliding. You can be saved in a moment of time if you will simply turn to Him right now. If that's you, let me see your hand quickly. Is that you? Let me see. Is there, I see some children lifting up their hands tonight. Thank God for the faith of children tonight. Are there any adults that need the power of God? Is there someone here? You, you, you're backslidden in your sins. You've wandered from the Father's house, and tonight you need the Lord to restore you. Is that you? Quickly, you'd slip up your hand. Say, yes, that's me. I need Jesus. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to transform my life. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Anyone else? Quickly tonight, with an uplifted hand, I want to pray for you. I want to believe God with you. Amen. Tonight, I've issued a challenge. A challenge for this congregation to become involved and challenge to intercessory prayer. I wonder how many people's lives could be changed if we would take this seriously. See, the power of prayer is not for selfish purposes. The true power of prayer is when we make the decision to intercede for others. You find yourself standing on behalf of of other people in prayer, that's where God gets powerfully involved. And you realize tonight that you want that God wants you to move in this behalf. I want to pray with you tonight. We're going to close the service in prayer. But if God's dealing with you, I wonder, can we take a few moments right now to get on our knees before the Lord and say, I want to be the interceder. Amen. We're going to take a few moments of prayer right now. You find a place where you can pray and believe God and say, God, restore Restore my ability to intercede. Lord, my prayers have become have become so myopic, have become centered on things that are not helpful. I want to pray and see an answer to prayer. Let's cry out to God for just a few moments tonight. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.